Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Shall Be Well. I'm Anne Boyd, host of All Shall Be Well, a podcast by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We're here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you are a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who wants to support women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Today, I'd like to invite you into a conversation with Denise Margaret Thompson, the newly appointed director of InterVarsity's Black Scholars and Professionals. Denise is a delightful conversation partner full of colorful stories about her upbringing in the Caribbean, her extensive experience in academia, and her personal journey of raising a family while building a career. Spoiler alert, it wasn't easy, but she did it. We talk about the work of Black scholars and professionals and the way this ministry is shaping itself to respond to the challenges of today. But the thing I like most through this entire conversation is the joyful way Denise walks through life as well as the spiritual depth she brings to the most complex situations. And we really get into them. I think you're going to enjoy getting to know Denise. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Denise Margaret Thompson is a professor and entrepreneur with over 30 years of experience in teaching, technology innovation and commercialization, program management, and research. She currently serves as the National Director of Black Scholars and Professionals, a ministry within InterVarsity USA. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. I'm, I'm just so glad that you're here. I've learned a little bit about your story from doing some um, looking up of things online. I saw a wonderful Urbana video that you, um, and, a talk that you presented. And I will tell you the same things I tell everyone. Anything you see or hear that's good, believe it. Anything else, discount. Okay. True, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was all good. <laughs> and I just think your story sounds really fascinating. There's so much to talk about between your family and your teaching career and your entrepreneurship. Um, so I'd love to start from the very beginning. What were you like as a child? And I'd love to hear about your journey into adulthood. Oh, boy. <laughs> as a child, I think I would be, I would have been described as um, different mm -hmm. and um a little unconventional. So I enjoyed everything passionately. I mean, when I say everything, everything. So I was into sports and I was into music and I was into drama and I was into my academics as well. I was involved with everything and my parents sort of encouraged that and never said no to any of the harebrained schemes I came up with. So my childhood, I think in a lot of ways, I describe as all, almost magical. And wow. often I feel a little um, guilty about just how wonderful <laughs> my childhood was. My family was wonderful. My siblings were wonderful. We, we had open house growing up. So we were always around lots and lots of people. Both parents were involved. Um, both, both parents were teachers. 
but were also involved in ministry. And we had students around all the time. I went to camps and conferences and our parents took us to whatever they were doing as well. So we got to meet a lot of people up and down the Caribbean from, you know, um, prime ministers and ministers of government to people who swept the streets, <laughs> just a broad range of people and experiences. So my childhood was just, looking back now, I call it just plain fun in a healthy, positive, wonderful way. Well, and give us a little bit of context about where you were, because I think our readers might not know that you did not grow up in the United States. <laughs> well, I think they, <laughs> oh, the readers won't know, but from the minute they listen to me, I'm sure they would tell. <laughs> I, I was born in Trinidad and Tobago, which is mm -hmm. the most southerly of the Caribbean countries. It's a twin island state. So two islands making up one country. And we sit off of Venezuela at the closest point. And so I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago, did my um, primary school, high school, and undergrad university in, in the Caribbean, um, where I grew up. I did engineering at university, and then came to the States for grad school. So tell me about, you mentioned this um, a little bit, that your, your parents were both professors. Is that right? Um, high school teachers. High school teachers, yeah, thank both, you. And that yeah, both, both academics, yeah. Both academics. Mm -hmm. And that you're and I, I know that your mother was involved in the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, that movement. Yes. And where you were. So tell me more about what that was like for you and what, what her her work was. Right. Well, she was part of the in, in the fifties, um, when we in the colonies were being granted independence from Great Britain. And mm -hmm. um, well, I, I think most of the colonizers, quote unquote, were at that time training um, local, local expertise and sending people off to university to manage themselves, et cetera, right around the world, not just Britain, but France and Portugal and all of the countries, big countries were, were doing that. My mother was part of the very early um, push towards tertiary education for nationals. And she was given a scholarship to go to Jamaica for university. At that time, the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students was just, I think, getting started up as well. And they sent people all around the world to start up InterVarsity <laughs> groups right. and an InterVarsity chapter was started at her university. She was teaching at the time and that's where the first group started. Um, this year they're celebrating the 65th anniversary of InterSchool and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in Trinidad and Tobago. And so that's how my mom got involved and then my parents um, who had been married at that time started the first quote unquote island committee. So I literally grew up in InterVarsity with students coming home and our house was a ministry house and went on from there. My own involvement in InterVarsity continued at university um, in undergrad. And then when I came for grad school, um, I was involved with InterVarsity here at Stanford University, but there was no grad group 
but there were enough of us grad students. So we started the very first grad chapter at Stanford back in 1985. Um, wow. And the grad grad group where my husband and I now volunteer <laughs> since we're here locally has been going going gun since then as well here at Stanford. So I'm I'm piecing together your story. So you came to Stanford mm-hmm. and and did you study engineering in graduate school? Yes, yes, yes. So I came right. on a one year scholarship actually um, for engineering and finished my master's, went back home. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And Stanford kept calling and said, come back and do, you know, research work, come back and do doctoral work. And, and I think six months later, I came back. <laughs> that was not that was not part of the original plan. So I was you just, couldn't stay away. I was just I was just coming to do my master's and going back home to continue my career. And well, the rest is history. I came back. I think in January of 87 Mm -hmm. and then worked on, worked on research. And then from, from Stanford, when I finished up my, the engineer degree, which is the professional equivalent of the PhD, um, I was off to a job at the Inter-American Development Bank in DC and somewhere along the line, Tuskegee University came across my CV, I have no idea where they got it to this day, and kept insisting I must come and visit. And I was had already moved to DC. I was not interested in teaching. I was mm-hmm. never going to be a teacher. <laughs> I did <laughs> I did engineering so that I wouldn't be distracted into teaching or slide into teaching. Everyone in my family were teachers. So my mom, my dad, my uncles, my aunts, everyone. And I knew I was never going to be a teacher. So I, I intentionally chose to do engineering. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Tuskegee University kept calling. And you know, one of the interesting things, listen to your parents, my dad finally said, why don't you go and visit? Do you understand the kind of school Tuskegee is? George Washington Carver, the history of historically black colleges and universities in the States. You go and visit them. And I'm like, dad, I am not teaching. Why should I let them waste their money to bring me down when I'm not going to teach? Because you just go. Go and visit at least. So I told them, okay. And I came down to Tuskegee and I fell literally fell in love with the students, fell in love with the program. I gave them an impossible demand. I said, okay, you needed to, if you really want me to come, you need to bring me on now, start paying me now. <laughs> this was like in um, February or March of the year. Oh, wow. School wasn't starting again until August. They said yes to everything I said. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> I, moved, I moved to Tuskegee and had an absolutely wonderful, wonderful experience there. Met my met my husband through the work I was doing at Tuskegee. We had a joint, I, I had a joint appointment in the School of Engineering and the School of Business since my research was on technology entrepreneurship. And so mm-hmm. I taught in both schools and we had a project with the University of Michigan and 
um, the first summer I lived in a hotel in Ann Arbor, which was wonderful and horrible all at the same time, coming back mm-hmm. to a room for the entire summer. So the next summer I told them, find me a house to rent, please. <laughs> I, I do not want to live in a hotel again. And <laughs> they found a house to rent. It was my husband's condo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I never met him. It was all done through the um, faculty housing program at, at um, the University of Michigan. And mm-hmm. I moved into his house through faculty housing. I moved out of his house through faculty housing. <laughs> he came to visit Tuskegee a couple months later and nine months after that, we were married. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> one, of those, one of those crazy, crazy, crazy things. It's been 28 years now. <laughs> this is wonderful. So how long did you stay then at Tuskegee? Um, two and a half, three years. Um, okay. And, and then, after you know, when we got married, um, Tuskegee was too far south for my very sweetheart, dear African American husband, and so we we moved to Michigan where he was teaching at the University of Michigan, and that got too cold for me <laughs> from the Caribbean. Snow on the ground at Halloween and snow still on the ground Mother's Day. Yes, <laughs> and so. <laughs> A couple of years after that, we moved. I told him, we have to move. One, where it's warmer, and two, where it's close, closer to family. So I told mm-hmm. him he could pick his family or mine. My, my family was in the Caribbean. His family was in Virginia, and he chose Virginia, and we moved to Virginia. And I taught at HBCUs there in Virginia after that, et cetera. But the, the, the journey continues, and it's been, it, it's been a wonderful ride. All right. So hearing about your husband and how you met, I, I am very curious to hear about the birth of your of your daughter and how you integrated parenthood into your life, into your career. I know this is something that our our listeners, um, we often mm-hmm. have discussions mm-hmm. with people about the challenges. So tell us how you managed that. You know, and that story is interesting as well. I had no plans I had no particular desire for a child of my own I loved children I enjoyed children and in my mind one I had very strict requirements of who my husband should be Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what I was willing to do to give up my wonderful singleness for a life of marriage Mm -hmm. and uh, Included in that was, I did I I had no particular desire for children of my own, but I wanted children, and I was perfectly comfortable adopting or mm-hmm. sharing somebody else's children or however that would work out. Um, when we got married, I was I think I was thirty five already. <laughs> and, wow. <laughs> And so Ray Michelle was an unexpected blessing. Mm-hmm. And she came before I had finished my second doctorate. Um, my doctoral program at Stanford was oriented towards professional practice because I had not planned on teaching. So I had done the engineer degree, 
which it's all, it's all a matter of semantics, but it was not a PhD in engineering. Mm -hmm. And so since I slid into teaching and found that I enjoyed it and God was just blessing and doing all kinds of wonderful things and the questions kept coming. Why, why, why did you do the engineer degree? What's this engineer degree? I think the engineer degree is only done by, I think Stanford and Caltech. Um, are the two universities in the whole of the US that do the engineering degree. So I had gone back to university to do a quote unquote PhD. Meanwhile, okay. since I was going to be staying in, in um, academia and Ray Michel mm -hmm. came. So Ray Michel came right in the middle of my second doctoral program. And what was it like balancing family life and parenthood with my career? My whole family, I think chipped in and wow. my family is both my in love family, Andrea's family and my mm -hmm. birth family as well. And so finishing up my dissertation while teaching full time at, I think I was at um, Norfolk State at the time. I, I, I'm still not quite sure how I did it all with a lot of prayer and a lot of support from Andre and from my in-loves mm -hmm. and uh, um, managing life. An interesting story. How do you manage life with a, like an academic career, even with a toddler? Um, I always had the job that was away from home. So I taught at Norfolk State, which was an hour away from Williamsburg. I taught at Virginia State, which was an hour and a half away from Williamsburg. I was on the road. Andre taught at the College of William and Mary, which was 10 minutes from the house. So he became, in a lot of ways, the parent who the teachers knew, et cetera. Sure. And um, a, a kind of, <laughs> not a funny story, Ray Michel must have been about six or seven, six, five or six, when um, we were trying to encourage her to come to, to stay in big church. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we would have her draw the sermon. And one day she drew a story of mommy rat and daddy rat and baby rat. And daddy rat would read stories for baby rat and daddy rat would play with baby rat. And daddy rat would do all these wonderful things. And mommy rat graded papers. Oh. <laughs> and it just broke my heart. Yeah. And I told my husband, we have one child. And if I lose that one child, I would have lost everything. Hmm. God gave me one little girl to care for for him. <laughs> and if she thinks all that mommy rat is doing is grading papers, <laughs> I have totally missed it and lost it. So what I did, I applied for a year off from school. <laughs> I took a year's leave of absence without pay. My husband said we couldn't afford it. I said, we can't afford to lose my child. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I was the best mommy rat for a year. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I 
bake cookies. I had her friends over. I took her to everything she wanted. I read stories for her. We learned Bible verses together. And then I went back to school. <laughs> but it was necessary for me not to lose my child. Everybody may not be in a place to be able to do that. We certainly weren't financially or otherwise, but I just made the decision. This was important. <laughs> and I was not going to be a mommy rat who only graded papers as far as my baby was concerned. Oh, Andre told me she doesn't know what she's saying. I said, she does. She understands very clearly what she's feeling. And <laughs> I am not present as far as she's concerned. Weekends are not cutting it. I'm just grading papers. And so anyway, I, I, I'm not sure up to now I've learned what it means to balance family life and parenthood with, mm -hmm. with career, but, but there are things you just have to do. And I think you, you just need to continue listening you have to mm -hmm. listen to your husband. You have to listen to your children. You have to listen to the Lord. What is the Lord saying in this case? And what does he want you to do? And just, I don't know that it's easy to balance. Well, I don't know that, that it's even possible, really, mm -hmm. to balance it all. You just have to kind of walk in faith and do as, as you think best. And just, just trust that God is going to work it out. Well, and your story shows your wisdom in knowing that um, different different behaviors are um, the different seasons mm -hmm, mm -hmm. call for different action, Absolutely. and Absolutely. that there's just there's always you know little tweaks that a person needs to make to their their lifestyle. It's not forever, and and, and it's a different action for everyone. Yeah, what what is necessary for me? is definitely not what is necessary for anyone else. But each of us has to kind of listen to the Lord and say, Lord, if, if, if you have me in this career, you have given me this family, you have put me in this church, how do you want me to balance all the pieces, all the pieces of my life? And mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's an act of faith for each of us. Yeah. And I think, you know, having the confidence to pursue your calling alongside, you know, you're calling it to teaching and into engineering and entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. having that alongside your family, you know, that all of those things are important and that God can show you a way. How to do it. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's wonderful. I think, I feel like now we've, I've, I, you're, it's so much fun to hear your stories. You're such a wonderful storyteller. And um, I'm caught up into how you've been, you were teaching and you had a young child. And then at some point between that, and then I know that you took this role as the director of Black Scholars and Professionals and something happened in between there. How did you get from <laughs> there? I think there's at least a decade. <clears throat> <laughs> well, um, I had always, where to start? I had always intended to live and work and contribute in the Caribbean, hmm. where I'm from. That was part of my 
prenuptial agreement with my husband that, that at some point in time, we would live and work in the Caribbean. I didn't say in Trinidad only, just anywhere in the Caribbean where we could contribute to the region. And he'd agreed to that. And so <laughs> I was always looking at, you know, how, how do we get to get back to the Caribbean? How do, how do I get back to the Caribbean? And for him, it would have been the first time living in the Caribbean, et cetera. And an opportunity came up. Um, they were starting a new university in Trinidad and Tobago. And particularly with my work with, in technology entrepreneurship, as if I, or both of us would come help start this brand new technology university. And of course I said, yes, <laughs> and we, we did. Um, Andre worked in the administrative arm of it, um, helping to get the School of Education going with his linguistics background and administration background. I worked um, in engineering. I worked with the University of Cambridge actually to set up the program in design and manufacturing systems engineering at the university where we taught people how to um, or it was a combination of mechanical engineering and industrial engineering, but um, setting up manufacturing facilities, designing products, commercializing research, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was exciting. It was highly politicized. <laughs> and um, of course, and I think six or eight years later, um, something, our positions were terminated. And I moved on to, and God works in all kinds of wonderful, amazing ways. And um, I was invited to be president of a, a college there, um, the College of Labor and Cooperative Studies, a university set up to train union leaders. And how does an engineer slash technology person move into a, a university trained for labor officials across the region? Only God, right. God has a wonderful sense of humor. And then I got, um, I got cancer. Wow. And, 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 and which brought us back to the U.S. for um, care. Mm -hmm. And of all places here at Stanford, where I had <laughs> trained and... <laughs> been educated how many years before and while I was being helped um, at the hospital Andre volunteered we had worked while we were in the Caribbean we had both continued helping with the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students regionally so mm -hmm. we had helped um, set up and work with graduates and faculty across the region in developing a ministry for CARIFES which is the Caribbean Fellowship of Evangelical Students, which includes about 17 national movements um, in the English, French, and Dutch speaking Caribbean. And we had gotten to know, because IVCF USA partners with CARIFES and was working with CARIFES on helping us set up the graduate and faculty ministry in the Caribbean, we had gotten to know lots of people here at, um, in Ivy USA. Mm -hmm. um, I had also um, served on the board of Interschool Intervarsity Christian Fellowship in Trinidad. And so had been involved with IFES World Assemblies for the last um, several years, several years before that. So had met people internationally. 
anyway, while I was being treated at the hospital here, and, I, and I'm still currently under care, <laughs> um, okay. Andre was volunteering with the grad group here at Stanford. And um, Wendy Quay used to be the campus minister for Ivy grad at Stanford and had worked with us in the Caribbean on the GFM work. And so Andre was helping Wendy with that. And they kind of kept asking Andre, won't you come on full time? Won't you come on full time? And Andre said, no, that's not my calling full time. I will be <laughs> volunteering. And then I, I think a year or so after that, he said, why don't you all ask Denise? <laughs> <laughs> and he offered me up. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> And one thing led to another. <laughs> so they, you know, were asking us to help with GFM, um, with the grad group and faculty group at Stanford. And then mm -hmm. it's like, why don't you think of helping us work with the BSAP? We, 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 we've put BSAP on the um, org chart officially, maybe two or three years before, but we've not been able to find a national director. Won't you consider doing that? One thing led to another, and here I am. So, Wonderful. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> ten years or twelve years in a nutshell. How how do you go from being an engineering professor and a president of a college to helping develop a program for Black scholars and professionals in InterVarsity USA? That's how. <laughs> it's a fascinating journey. It's such a great story, um, and so. So let's get into, I'd love to hear more about Black scholars and professionals. Can you describe this movement for our listeners and talk a little bit about some of the, the hopes and dreams you have? Oh boy, how to describe BSAP. Um, Black scholars and professionals is the arm of InterVarsity's graduate and faculty ministries. Um, it's one of the focused ministries like women in the academy and professions like you're working with and mm -hmm. um, the, the MBA ministry or the health professions ministry focus mm -hmm. on black scholars, black faculty, black graduate students and professionals. So BSAP is also very interested in the alums. So the vision for BSAP is to see a generation, according to them, a generation of graduate students, faculty, and other professionals of African mm -hmm. or African-American descent in the mode of intervarsity being transformed by Christ, renewed in the academic pursuits or professional callings. So wherever God has called you, whether in the academy or in the workplace, to become agents of transformation within the African-American community for Jesus, within the church and the world. So the vision is to see this generation of scholars and professionals rise up to contribute to the renewing of our cities and the renewing of our campuses and the renewing of our communities from a kingdom perspective and using their skills and talents, whether with the pen or in the classroom or in the lab or in um, the business world out in the marketplace um, developed to, to become a force for the kingdom mm -hmm. from within their ethnic identity as 
people of color within this particular setting for the world. So the vision of VSAP is not just, not just, you know, to quote unquote, encourage and support black students, but seeing them occupy the space God has called each of us to within their bodies and embodied faith of black people within this community for Jesus. This is a beautiful vision. This leads me to, um, I'd love to talk to you about kind of our current cultural moment right mm. now in 2021, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, Go ahead, let me hear. <laughs> okay, so you know this, the past 18 months has been especially tough for women. You know, many in mm -hmm. our audience are women mm -hmm. who have borne the majority of domestic duties mm -hmm. and especially childcare. And we also know that communities of color have been seriously affected. Disproportionately um, affected. Yep. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. Disproportionately affected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we're experiencing new energy around issues of race mm -hmm. in our country. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I guess I would like to start by asking about your personal experience. How, how has this been for you? How are you doing? How has your, how's it been for you and your family in the pandemic? Well, thank you for asking. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and I wear two hats where that is concerned. I, I, I wear two coats, um, much like people of color in this country who, who speak two languages, both their own language as African-American women uh -huh and the language externally that I'm not quite sure how to describe it. And I, I think they call it code switching, uh -huh. um, where you can switch between the two. Um, and for me, I'm switching between not just the African-American culture and the wider cultural context and the context of a Christian academic but also the context of an immigrant Christian right. academic. So just, just recently, um, one of our apologists in the Midwest asked me to talk <laughs> on some of these issues and I had to explain, I said, you know, it might be good to hear from my family because my mm -hmm. perspective is that of an immigrant woman in this country and an immigrant woman who grew up with, the, with, with, the, with a majority identity. So I grew up in a setting where mm. everybody looked like me, the judge right. and the high school principal and the convict. And the <laughs> you know, so I, I did not know I was black until I came to Stanford because that's wow. not how I was defined ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I became black in the US. You need to hear from someone who's grown up in this setting. So my daughter is bicultural. So she's both Caribbean and um, African-American. My husband is international. He's African-American, but he grew up. Um, his dad was in the military, so he grew up in Europe for, mm -hmm. un, until I think high school. He came back to the U.S. for high school. And so he has an even wider perspective. So it'd be good to hear from all of us. And it was a wonderful time <laughs> explaining how we're experiencing this pandemic from our various perspectives, Ray Michelle as a, as a millennial um, who, 
and, and, and I give this story. I've experienced a pandemic a lot through her eyes and it still tears my heart that when George Floyd was killed, mm-hmm. Ramisha said she was going out to march the streets of New York and to protest. And I prayed over her and I said, go do what you think the Lord is calling you to do, be careful. And I said, well, what are you using for you know, the placards? And she says, oh, I have my, I have my placards from Eric Garner. I said, you have placards from Eric Garner? Yeah, six years before, as a student at William and Mary, she laminated the placards that she used when she moved to New York City after graduation. Of all the things you would choose to take with you, (laughs) are protest placards that six years later are still pertinent, I can't breathe. The same yeah. words that Eric Garner had, wow. it tore my heart. Mm. How am I experiencing the pandemic? <laughs> it's like, Lord, you have to come through. There has to be some output of this global health crisis that's disproportionately affecting communities of color that we Christians of of color, of no color, of that all of mm-hmm. us together can stand and be the voice for justice, can stand and be the voice for peace, for equity, <laughs> for healing mm-hmm. in this land. So I am still just, you know, say, Lord, what do you want for BSAP in this moment? What do you want for GFM in this moment, how do you want to use faculty for healing? How do you want to use intervarsity in our church that is so fractured, etc., that the fractures are being revealed in the pandemic, the fractures that we know have existed and continue to exist? How do you want us to speak peace? How do you want us to speak healing? How do you want us to speak reconciliation in this country at this moment. I don't have answers yet, but Mm -hmm. I think that's how I've been processing the pandemic. The fact that some of us are choosing, we've, we've politicized the vaccine, we've politicized wearing masks, we've politicized everything. And it's like, Lord, how do I, as a Christian, respond in this situation in ways that show your love, show your justice in this situation that's affecting not just me and my community, but the country and the world. Yeah, I mean, you're asking all these questions that I think, I mean, my my impression is that part of the work that we need to do right now is sit with these questions Mm -hmm. and you know at least start asking them Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. um so I guess I'm curious to know as you know as you've been thinking about BSAP as you've been thinking about the experience of black scholars of this generation you know and and also how um 
how our listeners who I think have a longing to learn and grow and serve, have you seen examples of people who have been taking action that is bringing more of the kingdom of God into this situation, you know, from your conversations and from your experiences? I think, I think like me, most Mm -hmm. of us are still at, Lord, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Like me, most of us, why I should just speak for myself, just feel overwhelmed at it all. And what I would like to do is just kind of shut my eyes and have it all be over. Yeah. I am overwhelmed. What is, you know, what can my two loaves or five loaves and two fish or two fish and five loaves (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) do in this whole morass? You know, and and I think the Lord is still saying to me, would you trust me with this? Mm. Are you willing to give me what you have? I will do the multiplying. Mm. And I have to confess, for me, it's a daily struggle to give God the little I have because it is so little among in the midst of the magnitude of the problem <laughs> that I'm like, Lord, go find somebody else, please. <laughs> somebody, <laughs> somebody who's more capable, who has more resources, who, who, who you could really work with. And he tells me day by day, what is that to you? You follow me. Mm. You give me what you have and let me worry with whoever has, whoever else has whatever else. Mm-hmm. So I don't have answers yet. I have, I, I have not seen much indication of concrete steps in the present. Mm-hmm. I have to confess. Not, not from myself, not from my colleagues, <laughs> not from my wonderful, wonderful Ivy organization, whether, whether here or in the Caribbean or IFES around the world. I think, I think we're still caught in our eyes wide open. The headlights are on, we're caught like deer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it's like, what do we do? Do we jump? Do we move? Do we let the car come run right over us? Is what it seems to me to be. Yeah. I'm sorry. That, that doesn't sound very hopeful and positive, but. Oh, no. I think, I think that you are speaking truth to reality. And I think that, you know, we would like to fix everything. We would like to have an easy Um, or even a simple or direct, clear action to take. And I know that I'm looking for that all the time. But your word about, you know, we have five loaves and two fish or however many we have, but, you know, offering that, Mm -hmm. you know, that's that's all we can do. That's all you can do. And it's it's to do it. Do what you can, where you can, as you can, how you can. Yeah. You do your part, 
God, it's God's business <laughs> and he can take care of the rest. I tend to withdraw and say, well, Lord, what I have is so little. I, you know, I, I holding on to my little <laughs> five loaves and two fish. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I have all the answers how he should go and find somebody who has 10 loaves. Or so, you know, there's so many people with the whole bakery. <laughs> right. <laughs> go check them. <laughs> and he says, I am dealing with you, Denise. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to give me day by day what you have? And let me multiply it. And for me, it's a day by day, literal, day by day choice of trusting my father with this big pandemic, with this massive responsibility of BSAP, with whatever, when I have nothing really but my willingness and availability which is what each of us has yeah and I find it even after I've seen God work in so many amazing ways over the last 30 years over the last year (laughs) I still have to choose day by day to trust him for each day's provision, for each day's miracle, that even when I don't see how he's going to work it through, that I'm willing to give him my my little basket with five loaves and two fish mm-hmm. <laughs> and watch him watch him do the rest. Well, I want to thank you, Denise, for talking with us and sharing your story and sharing your oh, vision. Uh, thank for- you. It's been such a joy to hear um, to hear your history and to to hear the vision you have for the future and to join together with you in that. Amen. Amen. It's been, Amen. It's been my joy. Thank you. What a delightful human being. I had so much fun talking to Denise and hearing about her history and her fresh vision for the Ministry of Black Scholars and Professionals. And I really appreciated the reminders she gave us about the story of the loaves and fishes, that special way God has of multiplying our small gifts for his good purposes. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that truth on a regular basis, especially these days. So... Thank you, Denise. And thank you all for being with us. All Shall Be Well is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry doctrine or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $5 or $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at give2iv.org slash thewell or through our donation link at thewell. Thanks so much for listening in today. We'll catch you next time.